What are you like at telling stories? I'm not talking about making them up from scratch. I mean recounting stuff that's happened in your life. Whenever you tell someone a story, you have decisions you have to make. You have to decide which details are worth including and which details are boring and you'll leave them out. I have a friend who is notorious for including all sorts of unnecessary details in the stories he tells and it takes forever. I have a wife who likes to interrupt my storytelling to insert details that I've decided to leave out but she decides needs to be in. When we read about the life of Jesus in the Bible, we're not consuming the raw CCTV footage of what happened. That'd be boring. What we read in the Bible is someone telling us the story of Jesus. In fact, we have four different people who tell us that story. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all wrote accounts of Jesus' life. And it's useful to be able to see where they agree with each other and where they choose to include different details. We can tell what the writer's interests are. We can tell a bit about the original audience they were writing to. This morning we read a passage from Matthew's Gospel. It's printed on your handout and it'd be good to have that open to keep having a look at. We read about the visit of the Magi from the East. And you probably weren't too shocked or surprised by that. These wise men are a standard fixture in Christmas proceedings, aren't they? They showed up in many of those nativity scenes that we looked at, along with the usual cast of Mary and Joseph, shepherds, angels, assorted farmyard animals. But here's the thing. Actually, these magi are seriously out of place in this document. You might know what it feels like to feel out of place. Maybe it's the wedding reception where you're somebody's plus one You've never even met the bride or the groom. You're struggling to remember their names. Or maybe it's the election party where the results are coming in and you're feeling happier and happier, but you suddenly realise that everyone else in the room seems to be getting sadder and sadder. You're out of place. It might be that some in this room are feeling out of place right now, thinking to yourself, I'm just not the kind of person that belongs in a place like this. If so, you're in good company because the famous Magi are out of place in this passage from Matthew's Gospel. From the rest of his work, we can tell that Matthew is a strongly Jewish writer. He's writing about a Jewish Messiah for a Jewish audience. In his first chapter, he spent a lot of time describing the respectable Old Testament family background of his main character, Jesus. But after Jesus is born, the first thing Matthew mentions is the visit of some foreigners. We sometimes call them wise men, but these magi were not academic philosophers. And they didn't practice what the Bible would call wisdom. These magi were experts in astrology and the interpretation of dreams and the practice of magic. They came from the east, probably Babylon, They may well have been employees of the king of Babylon. Babylon had been a great enemy of the Jewish people that Jesus belongs to. And the kind of magic that these kinds of people practiced is presented as sinister and dangerous in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But here they are, just showing up, uninvited after the birth of Jesus. 
They remind me a little bit of my father-in-law, Peter. He's here this morning. He's not sinister or into astrology. (laughs) But after the birth of our first two children, Peter just managed to somehow show up within half an hour before we'd sent any messages or told anyone at all. A nurse would come in and say to Vanessa, oh, by the way, your father's in the lobby. Mysterious indeed. I don't know how Peter knew, but the Magi came because they had seen something in the sky. If you believe the Christmas cards and the carols and the movies, you probably have a sense they were travelling along at night, which was incredibly dangerous and no one did that, looking up at something glowing in the star, going, come on, it's this way, until eventually the star somehow switched on a powerful spotlight which shone down onto one particular house. This is the place. That's not really how the Bible tells it. The Magi say we saw his star at its rising. They've used their astronomical and astrological know-how to somehow work out that a new king has been born in Judea. It was probably something to do with the way the different planets were moving. We call them planets, they call them stars. It wasn't something that everyone noticed. When they told people about it, no one said, oh yes, we were wondering about that big bright thing up there. No. The Magi have come on this journey because of their specialised knowledge. But their specialised knowledge could only get them so far. Based on what they saw in the sky, they travelled to Jerusalem, where they have to ask for directions. Some would say this is very impressive for a group of men. They start asking around the city, we've heard about the new king who's been born, we've come to pay homage to him, where is he? Is he in that palace over there? Word gets around the city about these foreign astrology experts asking intriguing questions and it quickly reaches King Herod and everyone knows that this is going to get messy. King Herod the Great, King of the Jews, was probably the most insecure person in all Palestine. He was King of the Jews not because he'd been born into it, but because the Romans had installed him as their puppet. His dad had been buddies with Julius Caesar. His family had converted to Judaism, but they weren't Jewish by background. Herod hadn't even been born in Judea. He was widely disliked. And so his ruling style was insecure, anxious, cruel, paranoid and violent. Amongst those he had executed included several members of his own family. To protect himself, he had a personal bodyguard of 2,000 soldiers. And now he's heard that international astrological experts are in town wanting to pay homage to the new king that's just been born. I can imagine him like watching the report on Fox News and throwing his dinner plate at the wall. (laughs) What made it all the worse for Herod was that his people had a long-standing expectation that a great king would come, a king with a capital K, a messiah who would kick out the Romans and make Judea great again. All through the Old Testament, this expectation was built up. And so if there's a rumour that the messiah has been born... Herod wants to know about it. So he calls in his religious scholars to consult them. He says, when the Messiah is born, where will it happen? 
they recall a passage from the prophet Micah that says the great ruler will come from Bethlehem, a little village not far from Jerusalem, a little village which had been the hometown of the great King David. And so Herod hatches a plan. He calls in the Magi. He brings them through the back door of the palace for a secret meeting. He asks them exactly when this star of theirs had appeared. He tells them that Bethlehem is the place they need to go and he asks them to keep him informed so that he too may go and worship them. But readers who know anything about Herod can hear the malice in his voice. And sure enough, later in the chapter, when he doesn't hear back from the Magi, Herod goes after all the little boys in Bethlehem. He gets rid of all of them to make sure there is no threat to his own rule. It's the Magi, these foreigners with their strange ways, who make their way to the little town of Bethlehem and find Jesus with his mother Mary. They become the first visitors that Matthew records. But it's worth noticing something here. Their astrological observations told them that there was something to see in Judea, but their astrology couldn't actually get them all the way to the destination. It does say the star moved ahead of them as they travelled to Bethlehem, but the only reason they knew to go to Bethlehem was because Herod had told them. And the only reason that Herod knew was from the Bible. The Magi had wisdom that there was a new king to be found, but their wisdom couldn't tell them where to find him. For that, they needed the scriptures. And it's the same for us. I wonder what's the equivalent of the star in your life. What is showing or has showed you that Jesus is worth looking for? Maybe it's just the inkling that there has to be more to life than just earning more money. More to life than having more toys or more impressive children than other people. Or maybe the star that you've noticed is some insight you've heard from a thoughtful secular figure like Jordan Peterson or Tom Holland. All these things can point you in the right direction, potentially. They might get you to Jerusalem, but they won't get you to Bethlehem. To find the real Jesus, you need to dig into the Bible. When the Magi found the real Jesus, they entered into a house, they saw a young mother with her little boy, and something happened which is either profound or absurd or maybe offensive. These grown men bowed down to the ground and worshipped this little boy. And then they opened their bags and give him presents. Put up your hand if you quite like presents. We're going to shift mode for a minute here and play a little game. Christmas Day is a lot like a birthday party and so we're going to play a quick game of pass the parcel. I have one parcel here and uh, behind Harry is another parcel that he can grab. wrapped up in brown paper with a certain large retailer. Thank you. <laughs> you know how this works. Uh, when, if it lands on you when the music stops, unwrap a layer and show us what gift you find. 
Um, I'm going to press a button that will start the music and I'm going to ask Richard to stop it randomly. Are we ready? We've got two parcels in operation. Go. Do we have some myrrh over here? And what do we have in the other packet? A pearl necklace. Okay, let's keep going. Thank you, Mr. Music. Quick game's a good game, just saying. Okay, another layer. What do we have over here? Can you call it out? A Rolex watch. And over here we have Chanel number five. Now, there's questions I was meant to ask. Are these good gifts to give to royalty? Hands up, you think yes. And were any of these gifts mentioned in today's Bible passage? Put up your hand if you think yes. Not many hands. Okay, let's get going. What have we got over here? A glass slipper. Good for royalty. Mentioned in today's Bible passage. Over here, what do we have? Something you wanted for Christmas. A luxury yacht. Good gift for royalty. Mentioned in today's Bible passage. Let's keep playing. discover down the back we have some gold down the back is that a good gift for royalty wasn't mentioned in today's bible passage and down the front we have some frankincense was that mentioned in today's bible passage and is that a good gift to give to royalty Mm, we'll see what we think okay is that the final layer I think it is Good game, everyone. Thanks for playing. (laughs) The gifts that these magi brought to Jesus were gold, frankincense and myrrh. And we might wonder why these three gifts? 
And we might also wonder, why does Matthew want to tell us? Why does he include this detail? A gift that you give somebody says something about your relationship with them, doesn't it? It says something about what you think about them. This is why I find Christmas shopping so stressful. I want to get a thoughtful gift that's appropriate for the person. And so I struggle and I struggle to find something. In the end, I have to give up and just buy something random at the last minute and in desperation. I don't know if that's just me. Gifts are meaningful. And over the years, Christians have wondered if these gifts are meant to give us a hint of things to come. Frankincense was something that you burned to smell nice. It was used to worship God in the temple. And as we read on in the Bible, we find that Jesus, in Jesus, all God's fullness lives in human form. In the end, it is clear that Jesus is God on earth. And so we wonder, is the frankincense meant to be a hint of that? One of the uses of myrrh was for embalming dead bodies. And when we read on, we find that Jesus is going to die a very significant death. He's going to give his life as a ransom to save his people from their sins. And so some wonder, is this myrrh meant to be a hint of that which is to come? This is possible. It's more likely that the Magi, what they meant by all three gifts, was simply respect for a great king. These three gifts were all very expensive things, a bit like luxury yachts or glass slippers. They were luxury items fit for a king. And I think Matthew names the gifts to show us that Jesus is the great promised king, the Messiah. He wants us to remind us about the Old Testament expectations of the Messiah, which included foreigners bringing expensive gifts. The great King Solomon had a foretaste of this when he was visited by the Queen of Sheba, And she brought camels bearing spices and lots of gold and precious stones. Isaiah 60 looked forward to the the restoration of Judea under the Messiah and it said, To you the riches of the nations will come. All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And we read Psalm 72. It's like a blueprint of a great king. And it also mentions gifts of gold. It says, may the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. The actions and the gifts of these visiting magi show us that the great promised king has come. The promised Messiah who is worthy of adoration and obedience, not just from the people of his own nation, but by the kings of all nations, by all the peoples of the earth, even in deepest, darkest Australia. He is the promised Messiah who will liberate his people, not from Roman rule, but from the rule of death itself. This is the king who came to give up his life as a ransom. But this king wasn't born in the palace in the capital city. He was born in the little town of Bethlehem. And a manger was his bed. The characters we've met in this passage, 
show us how ultimately there are two ways to respond to the arrival of King Jesus. King Herod was right to feel threatened by him. King Herod knew that he himself was an illegitimate king. And Herod faced a choice. He could recognise Jesus and step down from his throne. Or he could try to destroy Jesus to preserve his own position. He chose the latter. Which would you choose? The arrival of King Jesus is a threat to all illegitimate rulers of the world. And that includes you and me. The arrival of Jesus challenges us to get off the throne that we've built for ourselves as supreme rulers of our own lives. And it challenges us to bow down before the king of the whole world. How will you respond to that challenge? So Herod shows us one way of responding to Jesus. The Magi show us the other option. Remember, these are the ones who are out of place in this book. They are the outsiders, they are the foreigners, they are the ones that religious people treated with suspicion. But they are the ones who recognise Jesus. They recognise him as worthy of worship. These are educated people, respected in their field back home, but they humbled themselves bowing down to the ground before this little child in Bethlehem. Are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to recognise Jesus as worthy of worship? Not on just one day of the year, but on every day of the year. The Magi also recognise Jesus as worthy of gifts. Precious gifts, costly gifts. Are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to open your bags of treasure and give him your most valuable things? Maybe that's your time. That might be your most valuable possession. Maybe it's your money, your attention, your obedience. How will you respond to this great king? born in Bethlehem. We're going to listen to a musical item next. Beth Goddard's going to sing us a song which takes a little phrase out of a carol. You might recognise this phrase, let every heart prepare him room. This song reflects on that and presents it as a challenge to us. <laughs> 